Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series called Community. And uh, so far in this series, we started out in week one talking about uh, why we crave community, and that's because we're created in the image of God. You see, God is a relational being who within himself, within the Trinity, exists in a community of love. And so he created us with this great desire to know people and be known, to know and love others. He wants us to be relational. We crave community because we're created in his image. And then last week we talked about this Greek word called koinonia. And that word really means a deep spiritual fellowship. And you saw that in the text in Acts chapter 2 in the first church. You saw this deep fellowship, this deep bond between the Christians in that early first century, living for the Lord in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all kinds of troubles, they were so tightly bonded together through the blood of Jesus. And they lived their lives for him by loving one another and putting the interests of others before their own. That koinonia fellowship. So today we're, we're continuing on into a different aspect of the Christian community. Today we're going to talk about what the relationship is between the community of faith, the church as we've been talking about, and our community at home, so to speak, our families at home. How do we connect our homes with the community of the church? So Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a popular passage when talking about this, this topic. And I thought it would be very applicable for us today, specifically verses 4 through 9. So Moses writes this, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you again and acknowledge how great a Savior you are, that we were lost in complete spiritual darkness, every one of us. But Jesus, because of your goodness and grace, you came to earth and lived the life we should have lived. Lord, you died the death we should have died for our own sin against you. You died in our place, but you rose from the grave and you're alive today, Lord, and if we put our faith and our hope and our trust in you, we will live forever as well. So, Lord, would you give us great grace as we look to how we can connect our homes with the community and the life of this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the average American family uh, today has so many different things that just keep us busy, right? I mean, there's all kinds of activities. There's all kinds of things going on. School, church, 
uh, extracurricular activities with the kids, right? So you got your ball games you got to go to, you've got gymnastics, you have music lessons, you've got dance, you've got all the family outings that you like to do, and then you have those big milestone events throughout the year like birthdays and, and holidays and vacations, and it's just a lot of stuff on the calendar. And it seems like, in the, and this is the case in our culture today, that every event, all of those activities kind of, they, they come with their own set of unique demands, right? So music lesson, that's, that's its own thing. And you've got your own set of demands and practice you have to put into that. Sports, you've got its own set of high demand. Now listen, uh, this may surprise you, but I was never a multi-sport athlete in high school. Um, <clears throat> I played one sport, it was the golf team, and it's debatable as to whether or not you can even call us athletes, okay? I get it, I'm fine with that. Um, but I knew a lot of friends who were multi-sport athletes in you know, those days, but now it kind of seems like it's almost impossible to play more than one sport just because it's so demanding. Each sport, they practice year-round, and there's travel ball, and there's all these other things. It's almost a year-long commitment for our kids and that's really true with almost any extracurricular activity. It's just really demanding. And that's not all bad. Hear me out. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying that here's what we do, though. I, I think we tend to silo all of these things. In other words, we tend to put all of these activities and these endeavors kind of in their own space on the calendar. But if someone were to ask you, Hey, uh, so do all of these activities, do they bring a sense of cohesiveness and unity in your family? Man, I think the real honest answer is not really. We feel like we're strung out in all kinds of different ways and directions, trying to keep up. So for many of us, I think our lives are siloed with all the stuff we have to do, or at least we think we have to do. But here's what I want us to see today. When it comes to your home life and your church life, we cannot silo those things. Those things cannot just be something that overlap on the calendar or somehow relate to each other here and there. No, these two things, your home and this church, we've got to go hand in hand together. So we're going to get to the bottom of that today. So let's talk about home and church. I want to start out by talking a little bit about the two primary institutions for the Great Commission of God that Jesus gave us. He has given us two primary institutions for the Great Commission. You see, long before God created the church, before God even created the nation of Israel, He created, guess what? A family. The first humans, Adam and Eve, were a family. And that, that was a family, that, that concept was an institution that God established at the beginning of time, created from the very outset, whose purpose was to multiply and fill the earth with His glory by loving Him above all things and loving each other. Well, as you know, the story goes, Adam and Eve really messed that up. They messed up big time. Adam and Eve loved other things more than God. 
They wanted to be the ruler and the captain and the authority over themselves. But God had a plan to fix this problem the Bible calls sin. And his plan started with, guess what? A family. God called a man named Abraham to follow him, and he chose Abraham to build a great family to again, guess what? Same thing. Spread his glory around the earth by telling the world of God's good love, by loving God above all things. But guess what? Abraham and his descendants, they messed this up too. But then, later down that family line, one of Abraham's descendants would finally get it right. Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of God, would do what no one else could do. He loved God the Father with all his heart. And he fulfilled what all of us should do and what Abraham was called to do, what Adam was called to do. Jesus fulfilled that. He loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He lived for him, God the Father's will, without ever putting anything else ahead of that. Jesus lived a sacrificial life. He put the interests of others before his own. He lived the life we all should live. He died the death we should die because of our rebellion against God. But after he rose from the grave, he told his followers something. He gave them a mission, a new mission. Though it's similar to the one he gave Adam and Abraham. Look at this in Matthew 28, verses 19 and the first part of verse 20. Here's what Jesus told his followers before he left the earth. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, this great commission, we call it, this command to tell others about Jesus and lead them to become disciples or, or followers of him, this became the top priority for God's people after Jesus left the earth. And God's people became known as the church. A new kind of family. Not tied together biologically, but tied and bonded together by the blood of Jesus himself. You see, that institution, the church, was so significant when Jesus left the earth. He gave that commission to us, his people, the church, the family of God. And that second institution created by God, given the responsibility to bring glory to God around the earth by making disciples and loving God above all else. Do you see that? Two institutions that God established himself, the family and the church, both given the ultimate task of bringing glory to God by making disciples, by being a light to the rest of the world, the family and the church. But here's the thing. These two institutions are not meant to be siloed. They're not meant to have their own space on your weekly schedule or calendar and separated where they never really interact in a deeper, thoughtful way. And now, after the establishment of the church in the New Testament, you see, the church carries the responsibility as one family, as the body of Christ, but of course, we still have our God-ordained, instituted 
family, right, families within the church. So the question moving forward then is how do these two relate to one another? And specifically, what does that look like here at Kernan? What role does community at church play in the community of your home? So let's continue on. Home and church. Let's talk about how they both have different roles, these two institutions, but they should cooperate together. Howard Hendricks, great theologian, in his book, God's Blueprint for Family Living, he said this, Many Christians today are praying for revival in the church, but there will never be revival in the church unless there is revival in the home. You see, the home... The home is God's design to be the first and primary place where children learn about who God is. Where they learn about who Jesus is. Where they learn about the world God created and how followers of Jesus interact in this world with others. In other words, the home should be the first place that children learn how to love God and how to love others. The two greatest commands Jesus ever gave. Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin, in their book, Family Discipleship, they define this this concept of family discipleship, of kids learning about God first and foremost in the home before they learn about Him anywhere else. And they gave a definition, and I like this definition. It's very simple, but it says, put simply, family discipleship is leading your home by doing whatever you can, whenever you can, to help your family become friends and followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not a programmatic kind of thing, though there needs to be structure and organization as you teach about the Lord, of course. But ultimately, it is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a culture that develops within your own home. You see, that's what we see happening in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look back at that passage again, specifically verses 7 through 9. Notice Moses, so Moses is instructing the family of God. He's instructing the nation of Israel, specifically speaking to parents. And here's what he tells them. He says about the things of God, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So that word diligently is highly important in this text. It doesn't say hey, you know, whenever something bad happens, you should probably sit down with your kid and let them know what's going on and why God is a good God who loves us and has a plan. You know, it doesn't say, though you should do that, right? It doesn't stop there. It doesn't say, hey, you know, if you feel like it, you should probably pray with your kids. No, it says you should teach the things of the Lord diligently. Think of all the other things in life we do with diligence. I mean, how many of you go to your work at your workplace and just kind of, you know, not really work that hard, right? I don't know. Maybe you do, but you shouldn't, right? Hopefully, we're diligent people who work diligently at the tasks that our supervisors give us and things like this. But what Moses is saying is the God who loves you and created you and gave you a purpose in this world and blessed you with people to raise in your own home, teach about him diligently to your children. But look at this. He says, And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, 
And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You see, what Moses is describing here is a lifestyle of family discipleship. It's the parents teaching in every moment that passes by when there's an opportunity to talk about the Lord and his goodness throughout the normal walk of life. Look at that. It's when you sit in your house. So when you have, when you gather around the dinner table, it's when you walk by the way. So maybe you and your kids are just out in public and, and they see something and they're like, dad, what's that? Or mom, what's that? You take the time to explain on their level the goodness of God and what perhaps they're seeing is not according to his design, but God loves people and wants them to live for his design. There's all kinds of scenarios. There's countless ways. But the point that Moses is making is that you must be diligent to teach your children the grace and goodness and design of the Lord for this world and for their lives everywhere. Not just in one moment during the week at church, not just in one moment even during the week at your house, but along the way. When you rise, when you lie down, it's a lifestyle. However, I am afraid that often in our culture today, we see a problem of outsourcing. Now, outsourcing is not a bad thing in the corporate world. It's a common practice. You'll have corporations who will outsource you know, all kinds of things, right? So perhaps financial management or their HR services, there's all kinds of things. Their customer services, right? There's all kinds of things that, that companies, and, and small and large, will outsource to other companies. And that's great. But the problem comes when parents outsource the discipleship of their children to the church. Here's why that doesn't work. You see, from birth from when your child is born until their 18th birthday, they will have lived 157,776 hours. That's about 940 weeks. That's how much time you've got. Those of you whose kids are out of the house and you're an empty nester, you know, right, how quickly that time goes. 940 weeks before their 18th birthday. So what I believe is each week at best, at best, you're going to spend four hours here at the church. At best, right? I mean, that's if you come faithfully every week to kid groups. You bring your kids to kids groups and kids worship, right? And then worship service, that's a couple hours there. And then if you come on Wednesday nights, that's a few hours, right? So, I mean, and then maybe an event here and there. But it's probably going to average out to maybe four hours a week at church. Parents, that leaves you with 164 hours not at church. 164 hours compared to maybe four. So I think this shows us two things. Number one, parents, how much your child learns the way of Jesus, that's on you. But it also shows us that's a heavy burden to bear, and so you need the church's help. You see, this is a monumental task for parents, but the good news is you are not alone. You're not alone. How does the church and your home relate to one another? 
You could say it this way. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. It's a beautiful partnership. Now, I've heard this illustration before, and I think it's really helpful, okay? So I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a car. And uh, the car itself represents the discipleship of your child, all right? So if you're thinking Lamborghini, you probably need to switch to minivan right now, okay? So that's real, real world, okay? That's where I'm at. So, so I'm the cool dad in the minivan. But okay, so we're in the car, and this car represents the family discipleship of your child. Now, here's the deal. Parents, who's driving that car? You are. You are driving the family discipleship vehicle Right? You are the one with your hands on the wheel. You're the one calling the shots. If something darts out in front of you and you think you need to swerve a little this way or swerve a little that way, you're the one responsible for getting somewhere appropriately and safely and righteously. But there's good news. Someone else is in the car. I would argue that the church is in the passenger seat. Right? Now, let me say this. All right. If you're married, You probably know what it's like to get, we'll we'll say, loving suggestions from your spouse as you're driving, right? That was a red light, okay? Yeah, I get it. Um, (laughs) So what I'm thinking is the church, right, we give, like our spouses in the car with us, loving suggestions on how to drive, right? So maybe, maybe, parents, for you, The church is in the passenger seat to help you along the way. So what does that mean? That means we're here, the church is here for you to resource you, to equip you, to encourage you, to support you, to teach you, and to help your kids learn along the way. But parents, you can't forget, you're the driver. You're the driver primary responsibility for your child's spiritual formation is on you. But again, I don't want to scare you with that or overwhelm you with that, but it's true. It's true. But again, the good news is the church, we are here right along beside you, and we want to help you along the way. Look at Deuteronomy 6 again. I want us to notice as we read it this time, verses 4 through 9, Notice the community aspect here. This is something I don't think we talk about enough when we study this passage in terms of parenting or or, uh, discipleship of our children. Notice the communal language and the parental responsibility. It's not either or, it's both and. There's a partnership even in this passage. Look at this. Hear, O Israel. So Moses is talking to a nation. He's talking to a family of people, the family of God. This is a communal effort. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall all, all of you, should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So it starts personally. Right? Notice that. Every individual, whether you're a parent or not, in the community of God, we are all called to love the Lord our God with all our heart. Everybody bears that burden. Everybody should be fulfilling the Great Commission. Verse 7, you shall teach these things, the things of God, them diligently to your children. 
All right, so now we're talking in the home, so we all have an individual responsibility, but specifically for parents and guardians and caretakers, now in the home, we shall teach these things diligently to your children, right? And then look down at verse nine. He continues on, he says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, that's again, your home, and on your gates. Here's the thing about gates, okay? He's not talking about gated communities. I don't think those existed in Moses' day in the wilderness, right? He's talking about the city gates. That's what most theologians believe is that he's talking about the city gates. What does that tell us? That the same things you are learning in your home are then overflowing into the life of your city, into the life of your community. So parents and individuals, all of us, all of us together in the community of faith are pulling this team effort to learn about God, to raise up another generation who then spills out of our homes and out of the church into the city and transforms society. You want to see revival in the city of Jacksonville? You want to see revival sweep across America? Read the Bible with your kids at home every night. Start there. Start with the reality that God is calling us to not just give some, but give all to what he is doing in this world. We see a similar idea in Psalm 78 as the psalmist addresses again the people of God as a whole. Look at this. Kyle read some of this earlier in worship when we started Psalm 78. Look at verses 5 through 7. He says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Man, that's good. The psalmist is not just talking to one particular person. He is talking to the whole people of God, all of us together. Both of these passages indicate a communal engagement with the life of the home and the life of the church. They're talking to Israel, all of Israel, but there's also that parental command embedded in there. It's not either or, it's both and. So there's clearly a communal involvement here between the people of God as a whole and the individual family. Ephesians 6 verse 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, let me just be the first to say, me and Christy will both tell you, we have not figured this out. I am not standing here today as one who has the best and brightest ideas, and I'm sure not standing here today as the one with the best track record. But there is a vision and there is a command that the Lord himself has given us. It's not me, it's the Lord himself. It's a tall task for us parents. And it's no easy task. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, trust me, at our house, we're just trying to figure out how to get our kids to eat dinner. Okay? Much less learn about the Trinity. Okay? Discipling your kids. Listen, parents, please listen to me. Discipling your kids may be one of the hardest things, it may be the hardest thing you ever try to do 
But it is absolutely worth all the ups and downs. It's worth all the heartache. It's worth all the pain. It's worth all the sacrifice that you're going to have to make. It's worth the effort. So that our kids can become saved and experience a relationship with Jesus Christ and be baptized up here one day. And then they go out and they love the Lord in front of their peers and at school and, and all those things we talked about on the calendar. Those things aren't siloed anymore. God has so much, some, something so much better for you families. Not to just put random things on the calendar, but to live a life, a holistic life that glorifies God in all those things. We're raising children to become faithful followers of Jesus in every aspect of their lives. And I want to say that the point of today's sermon is not to give you a how-to guidebook. There's going to be other sermons along the way for that. Today's sermon is more about just you understanding the relationship between the church and the home. But there are a lot of great books, and there's a lot of great resources out there on family discipleship, and I'd be happy to refer those to you. Please don't hesitate to come up and ask. But for today's purpose, we're going we're gonna to keep going, and I do want to get practical here on the last few minutes about connecting your home and the church. Let's talk about how you connect your home and the church. Listen, I, I think maybe the best way for us to connect our homes with the life and the community of the church is to see the church and talk about the church to your kids as part of your family. Communicate. Use that language. Say, yeah, our brothers and sisters in the family of God. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, well, I don't know about that. I mean, there's some crazy uncles at Kernan, right? <laughs> it's all right. We're good, man. We all got crazy uncles. Yeah, so? But don't paint this picture. Don't paint this picture for your kids that the church is just a place you go once a week. Show them that the church is part of your family. See your household family as part of this spiritual family. Because you know what? That's not something we're just pretending. It's real. We are a family. Jesus' blood. Jesus gave his blood to unite us so that I can call you brother, so I can call you sister. You know why? Because we are going to live forever together. Some of you are like, I don't know if I'm going to live with you forever. But you are. You're stuck with it. It's real. It's not fake. It's not just some wishful thinking or whatever or metaphor. It is real. We are a family. We are in this world together, living for the glory of God together. That's Christian community. Christ died for his people. And he adopts us into the family of God. So when talking about the church, I just want to point this out. I just think it's helpful to see this in the scriptures. Listen to this familial language. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Here's what Paul says. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. He's talking about in the church. Then he says this in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 15 through 17. He says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is, I, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Parents, I strongly encourage you to raise your kids to love the family of God 
to love the church and to see its importance in their lives. I mean, you could say it this way. We should be raising our kids to become faithful and healthy church members, right? That's ultimately kind of what we're doing in terms of the relationship with the church and the family. The church is not a perfect place by far. The church is made up of, we're full of of broken people, broken sinful people with problems. Myself, first and foremost included, but guess what? So is this world. So what would you rather have? No connection with a strong family of God and then just turn your kids loose? Or wouldn't you rather raise your kids to acknowledge those problems in the world under the goodness of God's grace with the hope of the gospel in his family, in this community, so then they can go out and live their faith one day? How do we do that? Well, that's the million-dollar question. How do we do that? Well, I want to give you some principles Instead of a how-to list, I just want to give you some basic three things. Just, just three basic things I think we can do. All right? Number one, and I'm not trying to be funny, but be here. Come to church every week, regularly. Be here. Establish church as a priority to your kids so that when they grow up, they know that, you know, there's a lot of important things in life, There's a lot of things we need to get right. But my mom and dad took me to church every week. We were there. They didn't let me skip school. My dad didn't just skip work. And we didn't skip church either. Make church, make the family of God a priority for your kids. Let them see that. Because that is going to allow real friendships to form. That's going to allow your kids to get to know, guess what? Other Christian kids. That's going to allow them to have good, godly peers and influences in their life. It's going to allow learning by observation and by participation. But you got to be here. And that brings me to the second point. Don't just be here, but be engaged. Be engaged. What does that mean? Well, I would say that could mean for you serving in one of our next-gen ministries, just even helping in the nursery. Right, just, just doing something to show your support for the kids of this church. That could mean getting involved more with your adult community group, but also with what your kids are doing in their kid groups. You're like, well, how do I do that? I can't be in the group with them. Actually, we've created a great, well, we've, we're using a great way, a great curriculum that allows you to do that. So I just want to make it clear. Listen, we, we use something here called the Gospel Project. And the Gospel Project is a curriculum created by LifeWay Resources, which we help support with our Southern Baptist Convention. And, and, and here's why it's so great. Here's why I love the Gospel Project. You know why? Because everybody in the church, right, in theory, is learning the same thing. So here's what that means. Parents, the lesson that you're learning in your adult community group at 915 is the same lesson that the kids are learning in their kid groups. There you go, right? So all you have to do is get in the car and guess what? You already know that we talked about heaven today. If you were in community group today, what did we talk about? We talked about the end of Revelation, right? We talked about heaven. And so you, when you get in the car or when you get home, you know, at lunch or later this afternoon or even when you're tucking them in at night, you can talk to your kids about Revelation chapter 22 because they learned the same thing. There you go. 
See, that's an easy step that we need to take advantage of. That's why we do the Gospel Project here at Kernan. It's a beautiful thing that's possible, but we have to be engaged. We have to want to do it. We have to actually do it, right? Number three, so be here, be engaged, right? And number three, I would say ask for help. Don't try to do this alone. Use the passenger in the passenger seat. Maybe the passenger has a map. Maybe the passenger has a GPS. They can help you. So in other words, as a church, we want to give you the support and the prayer that you need. We want to give you resources. We want to, to give you these proactively, but also come and ask. Don't be afraid to come up and ask. We can give you some Kickstarter ideas. We can give you some books. We can give you a really simple family devotional you could do every night around the dinner table with your family. And I want to say a word before I close. Even if you don't have kids at home, listen, this message is for everybody because we are the family of God. We are all brothers and sisters. So whether you have kids or not, as a part of this local body of Christ, you are called in this community of God to invest in the next generation and the discipleship of kids in some fashion. So that could be in a direct way by serving in our, uh, with our kids' class or, or teaching or helping or working in the nursery, or that could be in an indirect way by praying diligently for these kids and giving financially to help them go to camp or whatever it may be. But show them support. Even if you don't have kids in your own home, show these kids support in some way because we're all in this together. We're all in this together. Your family at home, connected, living with the family of God at church. It's God's design. Community. So at Kernan, we want to partner with families to help you build a Christ-centered home, to raise up a generation who seeks to live out the vision statement we have here, to worship with authenticity, to walk in community, so they can, can become faithful witnesses of Christ as they go out and live their lives. Can we do this? We can do this. We need the Lord's help first but we also need each other's help. Let's pray and let's ask him to give us the, pay, the capability and the passion to do that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we're thankful that you adopt us into your family. Lord, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray that we would love one another, that we would love you first with all of our heart, soul, and mind that our love for you would spill over in the way we love each other. And Lord, that includes the kids of this church. That includes how we minister to them. But Lord, I pray specifically for the parents in this room right now with kids still at home. God, would you help them? God, just bless them. Bless their homes. Lord, help us to see that there's no perfect plan in terms of what we do and when we do it on the calendar, which Bible study resource we use. But Lord, at the end of the day, if we are teaching them diligently, as we walk along the way, as we sit in our house, as we lie down, and as we rise, Lord, may this concept of discipleship of our kids be a lifestyle. And may we see the importance of the church and the role that the church plays in that part in that process, Lord, where the church comes alongside us and helps us and loves us and encourages us.
But Lord, we have to be here. We have to be engaged for that partnership to really see its full potential. So Lord, help us, Holy Spirit. For some of us, maybe it means just getting our priorities straight. Maybe there's something we need to let go of. Maybe there's something we need to quit so that we can be here. Lord, for some of us, it means just loving you more instead of all the things of this world so that we can align our hearts with you better. But Lord, I pray for encouragement. I pray for every parent, every grandparent, every uncle, every aunt, every cousin in this building. Lord, would you help us all to be encouraged to know that nobody in this life is alone. If we are in Christ Jesus, Lord, we are a family. So Lord, let us have a heart and a passion for the biological families of this church. Lord, for all the families, whatever shape or size they may be, whatever form they may be, Lord, give us a heart and a passion for the families of Kernan because we are one family, the family of God. We love you, Jesus. Would you help us today to do this? It's in your name we pray. Amen.